0: If you would, please stand at the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 1, please stand. God is speaking to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of Christ. It is true. And the spirit of God is speaking this word to us this morning because he loves us. You may be seated. When I was training for pastoral ministry at a church in Washington, D.C., one of my favorite um, experiences training for ministry was the, the privilege that the interns and I got to have of of actually attending a funeral at arlington cemetery this is, not very many people get to be buried in arlington cemetery you have to you have to be part of the military and you have to be invited to, to or granted permission to 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 be buried there and so this was a, this was a solemn and a, an important occasion and and we, we all go there and and we hear this wonderful sermon there and we we see all the ceremony that 's that, that that was part of that funeral, and then we realize that this this joker uh, friend of mine, uh, who, who was one of our interns, he was always kind of getting into trouble. He was always doing things that were inappropriate. Uh, we all realize, as we look over to him, that he's got this—he's mismatched his suit um, at this solemn occasion. He's got this gray pinstripe suit that. Uh, it had white stripes on the on the jacket and then green stripes on on the the pants. He he just picked the wrong um, uh, pants and, and jacket for that occasion. And he, it, because he was always doing things like this, it became this really funny moment where yet again Josh is is acting like a fool and he was humiliated. And we were all kind of interrupted in that moment um, for this solemn occasion. Now. When we come to the gospel that we are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are protesting what the Roman Catholic Church believes officially about the gospel. Now, let me tell you what the Roman Catholic Church says on this topic. The Roman Catholic Church says that we are saved by Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church says that no sinner can be saved apart from God the Son taking on flesh, apart from God the Son living a righteous life that we need, apart from God the Son dying the death as a sacrifice for sinners, apart from God the Son being raised, ...over death and then ascending into heaven. That's what the Roman Catholic Church says. And that is what we believe as well. The problem is what they then say about how we get saved. Everything they're saying about Christ is true until they say... That in addition to what Christ has done, we need the good works of sinners and the good ministry of the church to come alongside Christ so that he doesn't save alone. And what I want this morning for us to do is to think very carefully about the gospel. You may think this preacher is just being too nitpicky. You better be nitpicky when it comes to your soul. You better be nitpicky when it comes to your eternity and your relationship with Almighty God. Because where the Roman Catholic Church has gone wrong is a fatal mistake. It is one thing. It it, it is a silly thing to to open a sermon like this talking about a suit. The, the, The kind of humiliation my friend Josh was experiencing when he mismatched a jacket with pants, was very short-lived. But if you mismatch who the Savior is to what He has done, that is a shame that will never end. And according to the Catholic Church, in order to be saved by Christ alone, you have to be baptized in the Catholic Church. And the way that a a person is baptized is by their parents bringing a baby to the priest. And when the priest throws that water upon the baby, then they are washed clean by the blood of Christ of not their guilt, but the guilt that they were born into. The guilt that that baby will grow up and earn for themselves, they will have to pay. They will have to be cleansed in purgatory, this middle step between death and heaven. And maybe for millions of years, they will be punished for their sins before they can enter into heaven clean. In order to be saved, according to the Roman Catholic Church, you need the help of the church. The, the church will, will give you these good works that if you look at the relics, these, uh, the, the, this little piece of John the Baptist's fingernail, If you just look at that or you see something that Holy Mary wore, then that will take many years off of your time in purgatory. We need to understand that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Not with the addition of our works or the church's ministry. The doctrine of Christ alone has to do with two things. First, who the Savior must be because of, second, what He had to do. This is about who the Savior must be because of what had to be done. And the sermon in a sentence or the gospel truth is this. The God-man alone satisfies God for man. The God-man alone satisfies God for man. Alone. Christ alone in two ways. This is what we're going to unpack together. First, Christ alone could save. But He is alone in a second way, that He saved all by Himself. We are not trusting in anyone else to save us, because no one else could save us. And we are not waiting for anything more to be done, because nothing more needs to be done. After what Christ has done. So, point number one. Christ alone could save. This is the first aspect of what it means to believe that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. To believe that is to believe that Christ alone could save. Save us. What we're getting at is, what is it that is necessary for salvation? You may be asking yourself that question. You may say that sentence regularly. What is necessary? What is needed for sinners to be saved? And the answer that I want to give you in this first point is, what is necessary is incarnation. Incarnation. Incarnate. Flesh. Flesh. God has to have flesh or no sinner is going to be saved. Listen to how God says this in Hebrews chapter 2. Look in verse 14. Listen. Since therefore the children, humanity, shares in flesh and blood, he himself, the son of God, likewise partook of the same things that Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that the Son helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Humans coming from the offspring of Abraham. Verse 17. Therefore... He, the Son of God, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted." When people think today, we need the Reformation today. When people think today about salvation, they're just thinking about a little help from God. Give me a little help, God. You may never say that, but this is the way people talk about you as a sinner. People treat salvation as if being saved it's like a person who's trying to carry this weight that's just a little too heavy for them. they got to call their friend for a little help. I've got this giant couch, and, and to get around that, that corner of my, my stairs, it's just a little awkward, and so I need a little help from somebody. It's just a little too heavy to carry, too, to get into my home. Just give me a little help. If you look carefully at what God has said in Hebrews chapter 2, he's not talking about a little help. He says, the only way that you can be saved, or to put it better, the only one who can save you is God because, verses 14 and 15, because of the devil. And because of death. You do not need a little help. The Bible never, where, nowhere says that humanity is mostly good. But they just need a little bit to get over the hump into heaven. From the beginning, Genesis 3, when sin entered into the world, what did God say? You need for me to send you a son to conquer The devil. And because you're going to die now in your sins, and now you're under the the ministry of the devil. You're in bondage. You are enslaved to him, and he's going to hold you until you die. Because of that, I have to send you a son who can conquer your enemy. That's what he says, doesn't he? In Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, it's that thought that is in the mind of the author when he says, since flesh and blood need not help, but saving. Because of that? Because flesh and blood needs that? God has to come and partake of the same things. What the Bible clearly says is that we need a Savior. The human race needs a Savior who comes from outside the human race. Because we need someone who actually has the power to overcome the devil. We need someone who actually has the ability to defeat death. And I don't know what humans you're friends with, but no human can overpower the devil or defeat death. Christ is God. Because God alone can save. If the human race is going to be saved, We need the Savior to come from outside of the human race. But this passage in Hebrews is clearly making another point. That the Savior must also, mysteriously, it is necessary that they come from within the human race. Incarnation. God. Taking on flesh is necessary according to these few verses because we have three enemies. We have the devil, we have death, and therefore the Savior has to be God. But the third enemy, do you see him in verse 17? Do you see the third enemy? that we need to be saved from, in verse 17. Therefore, these are words of necessity, he had to, the Son of God, God Himself, had to be made made human like His brothers in every respect. He had to be made a human so that... In other words, He he could not save... If he were not made human. Because what he needs to do is become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? Because our third enemy. He had to be human if he was going, at the end of verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Beloved, it is not just that we need to be rescued from our slavery and bondage to the devil and death. We don't just have those two impossible enemies. The third one is the worst one. It's God himself. We need to be saved. And the language here is we need... A sacrifice that is a propitiation from wrath. Propitiation is blood that is given to God to satisfy His need to punish sinners. That's what propitiation means. Listen to me. Because today we need to... reclaim this truth of being saved by faith in Christ alone because there is a man-centered gospel that is so regularly preached. And the way that this gospel is so preached is preachers and in your own heart, you start to think, you know what, if no one cares about me, at least I've got God. people come alongside you and they want to preach a gospel to you and the gospel they're preaching to you is, don't don't feel bad about yourself. Don't feel like you're a failure. Look how valuable you are. Look at Jesus. Look how much you are loved by God. In other words, the the good news that is preached to us and that we want to believe in our hearts is, is that the problem we have is that we think God... Thinks better of us than we're inclined to think. The problem is not that we need to just believe that God loves us. The problem that needs solving is we don't believe that God hates us. God hates sinners, He hates sinners. Read Psalm 5 if you don't believe me. He, it says there, literally, He hates all evildoers, and we're all evildoers. And He's going to pour His wrath and anger forever and ever upon sinners. We need to believe that. And in Christ we also see this, what is shocking, is that God also loves sinners. He does hate them. He also sends them a Savior to propitiate, to satisfy God's wrath by absorbing it, by taking it all on a cross. And Hebrews says that Christ had to be like humans in every respect. That means fully human, not just partially, but fully a human if we're going to be saved. Point number one is about who the Savior has to be if we're going to be saved. And we have seen He has to be God because a man cannot whoop the devil or death. He's got to be God. And He's got to be man because God must punish humanity. We need that kind of Savior. Christ alone could save us because he is the only one who is the God man. And and he's not some polyester blend of God and and man, right? He's He's not partially one, but then fully the other. He is truly God and truly man. Two natures exist and are united in one person. And this is what I need you to hear this morning, is that was not the point that the reformers were arguing with the Catholic church about. This was not the point that they needed a reformation for. The Catholics believed all of that. But today, today, we are facing a different kind of problem. Today, Christ is treated like he's more man than he is God. Friends, Christ is not just your friend. And if you have a posture in your heart which just treats him as just the friend of humans. If you have a posture in your heart that he is obligated to forgive you for every way that you belittle him then you need to hear again who he is Christ is not a genie who exists to grant your wishes for what you want out of your life that is not who he is Christ if he were to stop Telling your heart right now to beat. He's upholding the world by the word of his power. If he were to say right now, for your heart to stop beating, it would stop beating. And he has every right as your creator to do that very thing. Christ is the ruler of everything and everyone. His every word is true and every word is good. And he deserves your and my unquestioned and happy obedience. And everyone who does not revere him becomes a rival to him. And no one's going to win against him. That is what we need to be reminded of today. That he is truly God. He must be. Because the God-man alone satisfies God for man. But Christ is alone in a second way. Christ is alone in a second way. He he alone could save, but point number two is Christ saved alone. All by himself. Look in chapter 4, verse 14. Look in chapter 4, verse 14 of Hebrews. Do you see this in the text? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith. You've got to know what you believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The Roman church says that Christ saves, but not by himself, not alone. They say that Christ saves with the help of the church and with the help of the Christian. That's our protest. That was the protest back then, and it's still a protest today. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you need to hold fast your confession of trusting Christ alone. And the point he makes in these two verses that I want to consider the rest of this time is the reason you want to hold to Christ alone that he did this all by himself is because of, it says, what kind of priest he is and because of where he made his offering. What kind of priest he is and where he made his offering. Christ Saved all by Himself by offering the sacrifice we need. Christ alone, because He actually offered the sacrifice that we need. Turn to chapter 9 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. This is where the author is unpacking this point. That he introduced in the verses we just read. And in chapter 9 he's talking about the day of atonement. Now in the Old Testament. The people of God Israel had one day of the year. When their high priest. Could enter into the presence of God. Into the temple. And go past what was called the holy place. And behind a curtain. Into the most holy place, where the ark of God, the presence of God was. Only one man, one day a year, could go in there to make atonement, to satisfy God's wrath for the sinners, so that he would live with them another year until the next day of atonement. But not even the high priest could do that just whenever or however. When he was approaching the day of atonement, the high priest would practice for seven days. He would rehearse every detail of exactly what he was going to do on the day. And when the day finally came, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest was going to go into the very presence of God, he would first bathe himself. And then he would put on white clothes to represent the purity he needs. Purity he has by washing himself the way that God called him to, the purity he needs to get into God's presence, or else he was going to die. And if he messes up at any of these points, God is going to strike him dead. After he put on those white clothes, he would take a bull and he would place his hand on the head of that sacrifice, that living sacrifice, and he would confess. His sins, and he was transferring as he confessed his sins on the head and responsibility of that bull. He was confessing his sins and the sins of his family. This is what the high priest would say every year. Oh God, I have committed iniquity. I have transgressed and sinned before you. I and my house, as it is written in the law of your servant Moses. Listen to what he would say. For on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. You priests need to cleanse you. You need a bull for you. You can't just stand for the people. You need to be cleansed. And you shall be cleansed from all your sins before the Lord. And then when, whenever he would confess that, the crowd around him, they're all watching with interest, they would hear him and respond, Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. And then the priest would cast lots like, like rolling dice and he would select which of the next two goats were for Yahweh, the Lord, and which one was going to be the scapegoat. And, and the one that landed on the, the goat for the Lord, he would tie this yarn around his stomach. And then he would go to the one that was going to be the scapegoat and he would tie a red ribbon around his, his horn. And then he would go back to that first animal that he transferred all his sins to and he would sacrifice that bull. And then he would take coals from the, from the altar and he, into the most holy place. And he would place it on the altar of incense so that, so that it would burn and the smoke would go out. And it would be going into the presence of God in the most holy place. And what he's doing with, those, with that intercession, that, that smoke, was he was praying, God, accept the sacrifice I'm about to give you for my sins and for the sins of my family. And then he would go out and he would get the blood from that bull that he just sacrificed. And he would carry it into the most holy place. And he would throw it seven times onto the mercy seat of God. And then he would go back out of the temple. And he would lay his hands on the scapegoat. And he would confess all the sins of all of Israel onto that scapegoat. And then he would transfer it to the goat. And then, the, and then he would lead the goat outside of the camp and set him free, escape. He was an escape goat. And when the, the goat ran away from the people of God in the presence of God, all the crowd that was watching would say, Bear our sins and be gone. Bear our sins and be gone. And then he would go back to the other goat that was for the Lord. And he would slaughter that goat. and He would go through the whole process of the incense. And then, and then the prayers, accept this for all of your people. And then he would throw seven times onto the mercy seat all of the blood. And then he'd go back out. And he would take off his white garments. and He would bathe again. He'd put on his priestly robes again. And then he would burn all the remainder of all the sacrifices and take them outside of the camp. And then when the, holy, the, the high priest would come back to his people, he would say, the Lord and all of Israel would fall to the ground and cry because atonement had been made. Their sins had been washed away and they could live with God again. And then they would have this feast where they danced for joy. That happened every year. And on top of that, every family in Israel... For Passover, would bring a lamb. They would carry a lamb in in their arms to the temple and and hand the lamb to the priest to kill for them and their sins and and the sins of their their family. And beyond that, every single day, this is what the priests were doing. They were making sacrifices to God. And all of that process, year in and year out, day in and day out, that convinced the people of a few things. God is absolutely holy. He is righteous. And we are sinners who cannot live with God. Look at all the blood. And God is gracious. He's the one providing these sacrifices in this way for us to live with Him. And none of it is enough. It's not enough. Because we have to keep on killing Him every day, every year, over and over. Look at verse 7. Chapter 9. Verse 7, what are the sins that all this blood and all this ceremony is covering? Only the sins that those people didn't even intend to commit. What about all the sins they did intend to commit? The ones they they meant all the times they yelled at their parents. All the the sexual immorality in their minds. What about everything they knew they did? Look in verse 9. According to this arrangement, all these sacrifices offered could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, they knew they were still guilty and they could not get past it. Beloved, this morning, I want to encourage you To not believe the lies of Rome. The Pope would have you believe that Christ offered a sacrifice that does not cover all of our sins and does not free us of all of our guilt. Now they celebrated. They cried. They danced for joy at that much forgiveness. And... Pope is thrilled about this, and every week at Mass, in our town, in every town, at the Catholic Church, you got to go to Mass. If you're going to get the grace that you need to sin less, there is a priest that holds up the Lord's Supper and he says, Hoc est corpus meum. This is where we get hocus pocus. Because when he says the words of Christ, this is my body, Rome says, that becomes the body of Christ, that becomes the blood of Christ. In other words, He sacrificed again. A sinful priest is offering a sacrifice to humans that will only last a week because apparently Christ's sacrifice on the cross didn't last long either. Christ saved alone. Because he offered the sacrifice that we need. See God's word. Chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation. In other words, he went into heaven. Verse 12. He entered, listen to the words, once. For all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13, if the blood of of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ, our sinless High Priest. Because He's sinless, He's going into a different Holy of Holies. He's going into heaven itself. He's the only man who can walk in there. And He's bringing His offering there. He was nailed to the cross. So that He would have blood to carry into heaven. Christ alone can make His offering in that place. And Christ alone can make the offering that He did. It's the offering that we need. The blood of bulls and goats cannot purify our conscience. He said that clearly. But Christ offered Himself without blemish. Christ says, don't take the blood of animals. Take My blood for theirs. Give them My sinlessness. Christ alone can save, and Christ saved alone. No one was hanging with him on that cross. No one went with him into heaven to offer that blood. There's no other priest who could do this. There's no other sacrifice that could do this. And there's no other blood that is needed. The Mass is a lie. Listen, chapter 9, verse 24. Hear this again. Chapter 9, verse 24. Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He didn't offer himself, verse 25, repeatedly every year with blood that's not his own. Verse 26, because if he did that, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. He's not doing that in the Mass, But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Chapter 10, verse 10. The same thing. We are made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, the same thing. When Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, He sat down, His work is done. Verse 14, by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. The Reformation happened because the Roman Catholic Church was claiming that Christians needed to purify themselves. That more needed to be done. They needed to suffer in purgatory. And the church is going to help you. If you got enough money, you could buy an indulgence. These certificates from the Pope that had the power to take off one million 902,202 years and 270 days from your suffering in purgatory. It doesn't matter if you feel bad about your sins. It It only matters if you have enough money to buy repentance. And God comes and says, You don't need any more priests or any more suffering because I give you my son. Now, for years after Christ was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, the Jewish people would keep carrying their lambs to the temple. Christ alone. For the work of salvation to be finished, it had to be done. Exclusively by this person, the God man. And once that priest has offered that sacrifice, salvation is finished. Put down your lambs. What I want to encourage you with is this call to empty your hands and fill your heart. We're saved through faith alone, a heart filled with trust alone in Christ alone. And that kind of faith has empty hands. Christ lived the life that you need. You don't need the righteous leftovers of Mary or any saint. You don't need, in order to get into heaven, to be a good girl. You don't need to be an upstanding citizen. You don't need to give more and more to the church to get into God's good graces. What Christ did alone is enough. Christ, Christian, Christ died for your sins. You don't need to suffer in purgatory. And you don't need to question your salvation every time you sin. Because Christ is alive, you don't need to question every time you sin whether you're saved because Christ is alive. What I mean is God has already accepted Christ's blood alone to save you. That's, the, that's what's pictured in resurrection. Christ was raised to personally and directly hand to his people his life to get into heaven and to apply his blood to get us out of hell. This is exactly what the book of Hebrews teaches. Hebrews chapter 7. Here's the last passage. Verse 23. Listen to this. The former priests. Verse 23. The former priests were many in number because. Here's the reason there were so many of them. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. We need more of them because they keep on dying. But he, Christ Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The only reason you would need more than one priest is because priests are sinners who die. But Christ's blood was enough to cover our sins. We know that because Christ didn't need to die for His own sins. And therefore, He could not stay, alone, uh, stay dead. Christ saved alone, all by Himself, in that He rose Himself. He raised Himself from the grave. Because He's God. Christ has the power to raise Himself and defeat death. The resurrection proves that Christ's sacrifice was accepted and that now he is in heaven still pleading with God to use his blood to save to the uttermost. He's still doing this as the only priest we need. What that means is you don't need the church to intercede between you and God. We've already got a priest doing that. You don't need to pray the prayer that that preacher tells you you got to pray. And if you only repeat after him, all you got to do is repeat after him because he's got these magical words. There's a magical effect in heaven. Because once you repeat after him, he says, you just got saved. He ain't no priest. You don't need no priest. You've got Christ. So let me call you now to turn from your sins. And trust in Christ alone. Do that right now where you're sitting. If you've come in here not trusting Christ, turn from your sins now to Him and believe in Him alone. And then you don't need to be baptized in holy water or to get in the Church of Christ's baptistry. Like right now, today, or else what if a Mack truck ran you over? You don't need that. You don't need some sinner to hand you mass. All that humans contribute to the work of salvation is our sin. And God cannot accept anything else from you in this matter. He will not accept anything else from you in this matter. Christ suffered and satisfied all the requirements of salvation all by himself. Drop your lambs. Put them down and reach out. For salvation only with the empty hands of faith. That's why we're saved through faith alone. Because faith drops everything else and reaches out from ourselves, from humanity, from the earth, to the Savior. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. The God-man alone satisfies God for man. Oh God, we pray that you would cause this word to do more than I could make it do. You would cause it to save. And that you would cause it to save by emptying the hands of every soul here, of everything else that they would look to, every way that they would try to add to Christ's work, every other person they would look to to give them a little more salvation. We pray that they would, we would all, with the empty hands of faith, Rely on Christ alone. We are not waiting for anyone else. We don't need anyone else. We're not looking for anything more. We don't need anything more. Cause us to trust in Christ. we ask in His name.